The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. All right, today we are in Romans 1, and we're starting, and I just love that these are the verses that Steve picked for us to read. Thank you for that. So we're in Romans 1, starting in verse 28. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, that's super fun, and disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, and are heartless and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them also. If you have uh, children in with you here today, we love that your kids will be here. This message today is going to create some questions about some things that for your little kids, there's even things in the Bible that we don't teach your kids in Sunday school because it's not age appropriate for them. So just, you've been warned. If you don't want difficult, weird, awkward conversations after church today, you've been told. Uh, Paul is laying out the case here in the book of Romans. It's a courtroom drama, not so much a, not so much a, a book or a letter as much as a script for a courtroom drama. And he has over here God, who is the prosecuting attorney. Us over here, we're on the defense over here at the defense table, the horde of humanity. And he says, look, God's making the case that you're guilty. That God says, I've got a solution for your guilt, but before you can get to the solution, you got to the fact, get the fact that the world's a mess, and you know whose fault it is? Yours. And he trots out the evidence to tell us over and over again that God's wrath is clearly seen in, in all kinds of ways because it's obvious by what he's made that people should submit their lives to God and follow him and obey him. But we don't do it over and over and over again. And he talks here in Romans chapter 1 about how we can wreck, ruin, and destroy our culture, wreck, ruin, destroy our families, wreck, ruin, destroy even our own lives. So today, here's the message for you. In the quick little message in a moment, I'm going to show you how to wreck anything in six easy steps. If you came today looking for inspiration, you came to the wrong church. Because uh, some messages of the Bible are very inspiring, very, yeah, awesome. It gets inspired, it moves you, it's all awesome like that. Some things in the scriptures are more geared, more things like, uh, that, that deal with practical instruction and teaching in the scriptures. How to do money, how to do relationships, how to do those kind of things. And then from time to time, God steps in and goes, hey, it's a challenging, confronting message. That's a bit of what you're going to get today. So part of this will help us grow some as a church and develop our ability not just to come and get all woo about God, but to go, when God says some tough things, how do we respond to it? Um, he says here in verse, that, that God's anger is coming against us, and he says the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven, not just someday at the end of times when he's had enough. He says right now, the wrath of God is, is coming. It's being, it's being revealed. Um, and then he gives a list of, of, of ways that God's wrath comes for us. And he's going to tell us that God's wrath sometimes comes as lightning bolts from heaven, judgment and wrath and punishment like that. Most of the time, he says, uh, in fact, look in your Bibles, look at verse 24, 26, and 28. 
And verse 24 says, because of all, because we, we reject God, he says, so God abandoned them to do whatever they wanted to do. Verse 26, that's why God abandoned them to whatever, to, to do shameful things. Verse 28, since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them. Sometimes God doesn't need to rain down judgment and punishment on us. He just says, you don't want me? Okay. Let's just remove all of my grace, all of my power. You don't want me? You don't have to have me. Let's see how that works out for you. And he says over and over again, history of humanity shows us whenever that happens over and over again, things fall apart. Things get wrecked, ruined, and destroyed at a, at a micro level and a macro level. And he's going to tell us that the wrath of God, the judgment of God for, this, for our sin and rebellion against God is coming against all of our wickedness. That's an important point today. The important point is this that we sometimes, especially those of us who come to church and are not at home right now getting ready for football parties after church because you're the good Christians that showed up like this, it's easy to go, well, the world out there and their sin's out there. And it's easy to think, well, those are really bad, like the big, nasty, gnarly stuff. That's the things God's knew about. God says, my, my wrath and anger is coming against all of it. It'll be super important as we get to some very dicey subjects today. It says, we know God, but we suppress the truth of that God by both our intellect, by just denying there's a God, but more importantly, live like there's no God. Whether we say there's a God or not, we, we live, live as functional atheists. It's like a dimmer switch. You, you, you turn your back on God, the light goes down a little bit. You keep turning your back on God, the light goes down a little more, a little more, a little more, a little more, a little more. Uh, it's not just the culture out there that does this. We ourselves do this. So here's, here it is. How to wreck anything, whether you love this thing or hate this thing, whatever it might be, your kids, your life, your business, your company, your church, your culture, how to wreck anything in six easy steps. Number one, he says, just ignore God. Just ignore God. Don't deny him, just ignore him. Uh, verse 21 says that. They knew God but they wouldn't worship him as God. In other words, we know there's a God out there, but eh, we, we don't want to, we want nothing to do with God. And God, again, will just come out there and will turn us over to whatever we want to do. We replace him. Uh, we reject him. And the reason we ignore God is because at our heart and soul, especially as Americans, our country was built on the idea of you can't tell us what to do. That's embedded in who we are. It's a good thing in some ways because there's some evil things out there that we should stand up against and call out. But uh, we have this sense of rebellion. We don't want anybody telling us what to do. Parents, you know, like, you know what this is like, right? Do your kids ever hate you because you bought them the latest iPhone, took them to Disneyland, and gave them unlimited curfew? Do your parents ever, do you, you ever hate your parents for that? Nobody hates your parents for that. You hate your parents when they tell you, no, you can't do that. And no, we're not gonna give you that. When they put limits and restrictions on you, and you do, you hate them for that, uh, because I want to do what I want, when I want, with who I want. Shut up and go away, so we ignore God. Step number two is we redefine God. Verse 21, it says this, wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. They began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. It's not the main point today, but guys, I have seen this on my own life. I've seen it in the life of our culture. I've been around now for a while and seen it. When we start thinking about crazy ideas about God, it doesn't just make us bad, it makes us dumb. We come up with like, like what are you thinking, pal? 
It doesn't make any sense. And so we uh, still have desires for God, but we exchange those desires for God by living as functional atheists and have a God of, of our own making that we make. He says, as a result, uh, we claim to be wise instead of become utter fools. Verse 23, and instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, we worship idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. And we talked about this last week, so get the podcast. Uh, go to our YouTube channel if you want to get it too. That we have idols out there in our culture, and it's easy to go, well, those are those backward people over in uncivilized places from thousands of years ago. Recognize certainly that's part of it. But all we do when you, make a, when you have idolatry is you make a new image of God. Sometimes that new image of God is an image that you make in your own heart. Of you set up someone or something else besides God to be your functional savior. And, and here's how we'll see it manifested in our world sometimes. You'll see something in the Bible. You'll see a pa- you hear a pastor talk about something that's on a challenging issue. And we're about to get to some of those today and go, oh, come on, Steve. Come on. The God I believe in would never say that. My God would never talk about things that way. And my response is always, you're right. Your God never would, but your God isn't the real God. You've made up a God of your own thinking, a God who approves of everything you believe, who never pushes back or challenges you on anything. And the fact is this, guys, from time to time, if he's God, there's going to be stuff that we go, we don't agree with you. You know why? Because we're puny little peon moron human beings compared to God, the infinite creator of the universe. So from time to time, we're going to be frustrated by him. The definition of God is that he's going to frustrate us. He's going to challenge on us in this. The other way you can see when we redefine God is this. (laughs) You will read the Bible. You'll have a good friend talk to you about some issue or or challenge you on something. You go, I know, but it's the I know, but, and it's I know, but. Well, I know it says that. I know I probably shouldn't, but here it is. I have peace in my heart. Oh, some of you are going, yeah, I got the t-shirt for that one. Some of you are going, that was my first or second marriage. I had peace in my heart about it. Everybody told me to stay away from that pal, that dude. Yeah. Just having peace in your heart. Somehow we redefine God and, and make him up in our own image. And then uh, redefining God always leads to actually just rejecting him. At some point, what happens, again, the dimmer switch happens like this. When we reject God, most people... Don't just go, I'm done with God. Usually it starts over here going, well, eh, I don't want to believe it. And I have peace in my heart and my God would never. And then we turn around one day and go, how in the world did I get all the way over here? How did I do this? And some of you have seen this in your life. You've seen it in people you love and know really well and go, how did they, at one point they were over here and like, God, this, they wrecked and ruined and destroyed all kinds of things personally and, and their family and and in their workplace, their job, so we'll reject God. And then he goes on to tell us, write this next one down, then we're going to read the verses. The fourth way, the fourth step in this, and as we do these steps, um, set aside all sexual boundaries is one of the things that Paul's going to talk about here. Is these steps don't always necessarily come in step one, step two. They don't always linear. Sometimes we do step five, and then we do step two. This is just however you want to wreck anything. Here's the building blocks for how to wreck it. Paul says here, verse 26, that's why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things 
with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. They set aside God's boundaries on sex. And some of you are going, what's God's boundaries on sex? Because it feels like it's this floating thing that happens all the time. Let me just lay it out here for you. God's boundaries on how he wants the human beings to experience the joy and the pleasure of sexual intimacy is a man and a woman in the context of marriage. And anything outside of that, he's going to tell us, is wrong. And it's a way, to surefire way, to wreck a, a, a culture. Now, people sometimes, when you get to uh, messages on this, if you go Google sermons on Romans 1, these last three years of Romans, you know what the predominant theme of it is? Homosexuality. Spend all this time talking about homosexuality. And we're going to talk a bit about that today. But Paul does not use this here and spend time here talking about homosexual behavior because it's the worst sin and that God's, God's just, that's the thing he's the most angry about. The reason he uses it is because it's the most obvious. Every culture you go to, guys, from year one of creation to now 2024, six, seven, eight, whatever it is, thousand years, in every culture you can see that they redefine the boundaries of, of sex. And anything, anything that, that tells me that I need to restrict my sexual natural impulses should be rejected. And, and, and we, we see this, guys, in, in Roman and Greek philosophy. We see it in Indian uh, philosophy, Far Eastern, Mid-Eastern. We see it here in the West. We have the, the most modern-day prophet of this, is not to make fun of this at all, is Lady Gaga's song that says, we're born that way. And the Bible is telling you, of course you're born that way. We don't deny that at all. She's at, she's one, that's, this is biblical morality she's talking about in there. We're all born that way with natural impulses and desires. And what God's going to tell us is, how's it working for you? Just following through on all your natural impulses and desires. All those things you just feel just come so natural. I guess we know this right with our kids, right? Your kids, uh, they're curious, they're adventurous. They want to go run out in the street or they want to go stick a fork in the plug socket. And they're curious. How dare you step in there and restrict their freedom, their curiosity? Like, come on, that's, that's their natural, God-given desire to go out and do you. But there's some things that, mm, from time to time, we probably ought to restrict that. So I'm not telling you right now to believe what the Bible says about sexuality, but at least to go with the sense of not every natural impulse should be followed through on. And here's our problem. We get to be adults and we think we're smarter than God because now we're grown-ups. God goes... Your little preschoolers running around making a mess out of things. Um, Paul's going to tell us here that the world falls apart, culture falls apart, families fall apart when we live by our hormones and desires. When we live by our hormones and desires, um, we make a mess out of everything. And he says here, he uses this issue of homosexual behavior. Look at me for a second. Not homosexual orientation. Homosexual behavior. But again, he's talking, remember I said the big word today is all of it? He's just using, he says, here's what happens. One, in every culture, you can watch what happens as you just study it. Forget about theological and Bible stuff. Just watch what happens. It starts over here on all kinds of acting out heterosexually, and then it moves over here to this, and pretty soon we go, everything, anything and everything's accepted. And that's where we kind of find ourselves now, guys, and it's just going to keep going that way. And this is not even a big moral crusade. Everything's going to hell in a handbasket. This is just what happens. When everything's acceptable and you can't restrict any impulse, 
then everything's okay. Whether it's heterosexual, homosexual, bisexual, gender identity kinds of issues that we're wrestling with right now. And the tricky part with this is um, if we're not careful, we will become single focused on this in, in evangelical Christianity and become, make it be the big only thing that God cares about. And the problem with that is, is here's what will happen. The two extremes we have on this in Western conservative Christianity, which that's the tribe we're a part of right now. Over here, it's, the, it's, it's evil and it's terrible. God hates gay people. God hates gay. It's evil. It's vile. It's wretched in his sight. And that being gay or expressing homosexuality and homosexual behavior is the unpardonable sin, hell for you. We'll even have people do things like this uh, with people that, because it's, because it's so personally offensive to us, we, we see these scriptures go, God hates this and it's wrong and it's terrible. We will do things to, to shun people out of our lives, to go, we need to like, I don't want that person in my life anymore, around my kids, all that kind of stuff. We never do that about the rest of the sins that are here in Romans. We'll do it about gay people and we go all freaked out about that. We don't do it about like, a little too greedy, a little too angry, a little too jealous and divisive. We don't shun those people out of our lives, but it's what we do. When we think, oh, it's terrible, it's awful, we make it this big unpardonable sin, it's awful. The other thing that we tend to do in Western, even in Christianity right now, uh, is this. In reaction to that harsh judgmental attitude, it's we want to pat everybody on the head and say, it's okay. God just loves you just the way you are. And that absolutely, again, here's what the enemy does. He weaponizes truth. God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to say, stay the way you are. You know, I want to change who you are. I want to give you a whole brand new identity. If you are here today, and I, you know, we have people here today, uh, brothers and sisters, part of our Crosspoint community, who this is your deal. You wonder about homosexuality, homosexual behavior. It's, it's, you feel like that's, I'm born that way. I'm made that way. I don't know what to do about that. I feel like I was born in the wrong body in a lot of ways. It just, it's challenging. It's difficult for you today. I got some resources for you. They're on, the ba- on the inside of your program, there's a thing called Intersect. On the bottom of that little intersect section, our follow-up questions are these three books. Take a look at them. I have screenshots up here for you. Uh, a guy named Living, uh, Preston Sprinkle wrote a book called Living in a Gray World. It's a great resource. It's a great resource just to help you understand the scriptures here. And what I love about Preston Sprinkle's book, it's, it's a simple little book, is that people on both sides of this issue don't like him. But, so then you're probably right where you need to be. It'd be easy to go stake out the side of here and go, oh, it's okay, just do whatever you want, or God hates it all, it's evil and terrible. Because no, both sides of this, we're responding to grace and mercy and all that. Uh, the, the next two are more are books that are written by, by uh, women who, who were born with a homosexual orientation. They knew it early, early on in their lives. Rosaria Butterfield was the pre- professor of English literature and queer studies at a leading uh, uh, Eastern University and this private thoughts of an unlikely convert, fascinating journey of how she figured out some things. Now she wrestled around with all of that. And then uh, Gay Girl, Good God by Jackie Hill Perry, fantastic book. If you have questions about this for yourself or you have questions about it because you know somebody and like, how, what do I do here? I don't, I, don't know, I don't know how to wrestle around with this. Or you're just sitting here today going, Man, it just feels like, can't we just let this thing go, Steve? And just, I mean, it's just how they're born. What we don't want to do is we want to love people enough to say, look, God has standards out here. 
And we're going to love you enough to say you're welcome here without endorsing everything that you do and believe. We're also going to love you enough to say, hey, if you want to wrestle with this and figure out some stuff here, chat with us about it. So on your connection card that Beth had you uh, fill out a few minutes ago, jot me a note about that. We have people here, myself, other people here. We have been in the midst of wrestling with all kinds of people on this issue for a long time. It's not going away. And we're telling you, we want to help you. And so just take a look at some of those resources and jot me a note if you have more questions about it. So we ignore God. We redefine God. We reject God. We set aside all sexual boundaries. And then that list of, of things that Beth just read for us is what we do when we set aside not just sexual boundaries, we set aside all relational boundaries. Relationships get to be chaos. Also called America in the 21st century. Look at this list here of how these, kind of, these, these behaviors manifest. He talks in there about greed. It makes a mess out of relationships. Hate, obvious one. Envy. Murder. Obviously it makes a mess. Violence against people. Quarreling. I love the fact that quarreling is right next to murder on the list. <laughs> Deception, what that does to relationships, malicious behavior and gossip. Backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. We invent new ways of sinning. This is an important one because back when Paul was writing this letter to the church in Rome in the first century, he had to say that because he goes, look, there's some things back in the Jewish, in the scriptures that are the first five books of the Bible called the Torah or God's law that aren't in there. People go, well, it doesn't say it's wrong in the Bible, so therefore it's okay. And Paul goes, no, you just keep, we're good at sinning. We, we invent new ways of sinning that God goes, I haven't even thought of that one yet. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> um, disobey their parents. Again, what that does have families fracture and fall apart when things get bad. Refuse to understand. You know what refusing to understand is also called? I'm committed to my convictions. I'm stubborn. It makes a mess out of things in families. Some of you are married to that person today. Jot me a note about it. We got counseling for you and for him or her. Um, break their promises when they don't follow through on commitments. And guys, you can see that manifest all over the place, right? People that cheat in marriage, people that don't have promises, commitments they make, and don't follow through are heartless, which means no compassion, and have no mercy for people. And, and what, what's happening here, remember I told you that the beginning that what Paul is doing here is not just talking about the big nasty sins over here, he's talking about all of it. Heartless and have no mercy. In fact, in some ways, what he's doing here would be like what a lawyer would do in a courtroom today. He might have case files of... of uh, uh, of, of evidence there. He would put the, on, on the pile. Wickedness, psh, sin, psh, greed, hate. Or he does the PowerPoint presentation up here with images of over and over and over and over and over again. And it builds to this crescendo. He starts off, yeah, sexual behavior. That's an obvious one. Everybody can see that. But he deals, and he says, like, like where it gets really, really bad, where relationships, where, where things just fall apart and are destroyed, is we're heartless and there's no mercy for people. He goes on to say, number six, we promote and celebrate sin. Verse 32, they know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. What's happening in our culture today is we're proud of what we, what we should be ashamed of. 
what's formerly shameful is now a source of pride, and that's all over the place in our movies and music and TV. And I know what some of you are thinking right now. Yeah, that thing's the kids are teaching those kids in school today about, about sexuality and about trans and all that stuff, about those trans people out there, those gay people out there. That's easy to do. There's certainly issues out there in our culture, not denying any of that. But remember I said it's all of us. All of us are promoting and celebrating stuff we should be ashamed of. Even you that showed up for church today at 10.42 on a Sunday morning. Like, let's just have some fun with this today. And I made a, a list of some things in my own life. That looked, uh, and I wanted to leave some of these off the list because some of these are real struggles for me because now I'm, I have the sin of hypocrisy. Because I get up and tell you, oh, don't do this, don't do this. You go, yeah, but Steve, I watched and see what you do and how you live your life. And I watch how you talk to Denise or I watch how things you watch or see on TV or movies or music you listen to. Stuff we promote and celebrate and justify it somehow. Extreme violence and soft pornography. Because the acting's good. The story's good. The plot's good. And you can stream it for free. And it wins Academy Awards. It's beautiful and amazing. Deception. He talks twice in this list about deception. He says that they, uh, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip, they break their promises. In the book of Psalms, Psalm 15, uh, David, writing this psalm, says, who, who can go to God? Who has a great relationship with God? He lists five or six things there. The last one on that list, it says, those who keep their word even when it hurts. Even when it hurts means even when I could get out of it with a good lawyer. Now, look, use the legal system, all that, but I'm telling you right now, we need people to quit playing that game out there. But we justify it all the time. Uh, deception, because it's just the way the world works now. Uh, gossip. <laughs> what business is it of ours to know who Jennifer Aniston was cheating with when she left Brad Pitt or whoever? What business is it of yours? But TMZ, uh, the social media, there's, that stuff, there's nothing gets all the clicks. Did you see what happened? Did you hear what happened? All that is is just, and you know what gossip is so good about gossip? It feels so good going down. It's just... It's just, it's deeply, like it's a rich morsel for your soul, Proverbs tells us, and yet we justify it. Here's what gossip also happens, what we do in the Christian community, is it's called sharing prayer requests. And talking about that issue, and talking about them, and talking about that, and listening that out, and oh gosh, it's terrible, we need to pray for them, and gosh, in order to pray for them, we really have to know all the graphic, gory, grimy details and all that. And we talk, pray, and talk about it, and talk about it for about 23 minutes, and pray for 30 seconds. I'll remember you in prayer. And we justify it somehow. We celebrate and promote what we should be ashamed of. He talks about quarreling and malicious behavior. Guys, this is the political realm we live in right now. And this is, we're going to see this. It's coming. You're, if, if you're paying attention, it's already there everywhere. On both sides of the political spectrum are doing this right now. And in the conservative world, or in the Christian world that's trying to promote morality and trying to say we need to push back the darkness, we think somehow it's okay to fight fire with fire. Well, that's the only way you can win, Steve. Is you, if they're going to be a jerk, you've got you to be a jerk back. If they're going to be slanders, you've got to be slander back. And God's going to tell you, what are you doing, pal? You're promoting and celebrating what's going to destroy you. And if you win that battle, you're going to lose the whole war. You're going to lose your country if we keep this nonsense going on. And then he says... One of the other ones here is they have no mercy and they're, they're judgmental and harsh. We live in a world today of the cancel culture where what somebody did 
two months ago, two years ago, 12 years ago, and that's out there now. Everybody knows it. We write them off, and they're done. We have people that have to resign from positions in universities on, again, both sides of the aisle on this when it comes to political, moral kinds of things. Both sides of conservatives and progressives and liberals and everything in between are doing this kind of thing. There's no mercy. There's no sense of, well, man, that was dumb and wrong. They've apologized for some things. They, they got their act together on that. There's a cancel culture. I want to tell you right now, guys, the gospel cancels cancel culture. When Jesus said it is finished, it is done, that means it's done. That means the people that should be the most willing, not blind-eyed, just ridiculous optimism, but, but clear-thinking optimism should say, look, if Jesus forgives them, who am I to hold that against them right now? And yet, over and over again, we promote and celebrate stuff that we should be ashamed of. Uh, those, I'm gonna do, that's a fun little exercise for today. Just put up the next slide here that has the list of verses that we just looked at. That's the verses that are there. Now, what we tend to do in the Christian community, people that go to church, is we go, okay, those are, there's some bad sins up there, right? You can look at some of those, dang, those are some bad ones. So on that list, pick out the ones that are bad sins, but then we also have the sins that are more just like issues. We're all broken. We all kind of have issues and stuff. I did it as exercise for myself this week. Put the next one up. Wickedness and sin, those are terrible. Greed, issue. Hate, oh, we shouldn't hate people. That's bad. Uh, envy, come on, Steve. It's just, I mean, I can't help that I like what they want. I'm jealous of what they have. Murder, of course. Quarreling. Malicious behavior is really bad. But gossip and backstabbing, that's just kind of the way the world works, doesn't it? Also called Instagram, social media, all that kind of thing. Haters of God, we go, that's probably a bad one. You shouldn't hate God. But then insolent and proud and boastful and always pumping yourself up and making yourself better than everybody else because of your insecurity or your pride. Inventing new ways of sinning, I probably shouldn't do that. But disobedience to parents, refusing to understand, heartless with no mercy are just issues and problems that we have. We have our big, bad, nasty sins and then just things that are just... Come on, Steve, everybody struggles. And God goes, look, my wrath and anger is coming against all that mess. And here's why he's against all of it. Because all that mess is what's making a mess. All that mess is what's destroying our culture, what's destroying society, what's destroying you as a family. It's, it's, making a, it, it's destroying things. So how do we take this to the streets now? How do we take it out of the auditorium today some hard-hitting, challenging stuff and take it to the streets, uh, out of the auditorium, into our home, into our workplace, and make a difference. Number one, write it down this way. This isn't a list to show us why everyone else needs Jesus. It's meant to show us why we need Jesus. I had a guy last night text me after he kind of appreciated the way that, what we did here. Like, he said, he said, see, what we did here was too often what we do is um, God gives us this list. It's a piece of glass as a mirror to look at ourselves. You know what we do with it? Make that glass into binoculars and look out there and peer around here and get zoom in really close to see what you're doing. It's ammunition. Uh, it's ammunition for us to be arrogant about how jacked up the world is. The truth is I'm jacked up and I need Jesus. Um, and there's this little phrase out there that we probably need to take out of our vocabulary. It's well-intentioned. When it's done right, 
with compassion and mercy. It's great. It's, it's here, but, but here's what's happened. It's been used to justify all kinds of smarmy, snarky, self-righteous judgmentalism. And it's this phrase, hate the sin, love the sinner. Here's the problem with that. There's too many of you out there for me to hate all your sin. You're sinning too much for me to hate your sin. And the truth is, I, got, I don't have time to hate your sin. I have, I have enough problem dealing with my own sin that I need to hate. So here's my, my challenge on is hate your own dang sin. Here's the deal we should make. You hate your sin, I'll hate my sin, and we'll be amazed by a God who loves sinners. We're going to sing a song today. Even when I'm not, you're faithful. Even when I doubt, your truth holds. God, even when I'm not, when I'm a jacked up mess, that God goes, I love you all the way, not because you're awesome, but because you're a hot mess disaster and I'm awesome, I'm going to rescue from that. That's a sneak preview for what's coming here in the book of Romans. Number two, second thing to take home today, is the solution to a messed up culture isn't to make non-Christians live like Christians. It's to, do, it's to introduce everyone to Jesus. We live in a world, guys, right now, you look around, right? I know, I mean, I don't have young kids in school anymore. I see the jacked up, messed up world we live in and go, man, we got to change some rules and some laws around here. And that's our natural impulse to do this. I went to a college back in the 1980s, what was called the moral majority. We got to legislate morality and do all that kind of thing. And it's, it's well-intentioned. And I'm telling you, the election, when election season comes, you should vote and you should vote your Christian principles. But the second we start to think that our laws and our propositions are going to change our culture, we're dreaming. It's not, it has no power to do it. And people that say we need to have more morality and legislate and get out there and get Christian voter guides out there and, and, and be real aggressive about this because they believe what the Bible says. It's like, you don't believe what the Bible says. Because Paul here in Romans chapter 8, verse 3 says this. The law of Moses. You know what the law of Moses is? The Ten Commandments. The books of the Bible. It says the law of Moses the, in the Bible was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what this Bible, what this law could not do. You have no ability on your own to just legislate that into people's lives. And here's the deal. <laughs> Those of you who have gone to church your whole life and have studied this kind of stuff, you know that God had Moses come up to the mountain and he met with him face to face and he dictated. He dictated the law down to him. And Paul comes along later and says, look, Jesus has made it very clear if the law could save you, Jesus was a colossal blunder. If, the, if we could figure out some way that the law could save us and we could just get people to behave better and that could do it, then Jesus was a colossal waste of time. It's an ultimate just joke and tragedy of epic proportions. And if the law can't save you, neither can your propositions, no matter how well-intentioned they are. And again, I'm not talking about the fact you shouldn't vote. I'm saying vote. I think America is the greatest country in the world right now. But if you think somehow the Constitution, your propositions can save anybody, it's just not, not going to happen. And keep in mind that the people who had the strongest morality, people who knew the Bible, studied the Bible, the strongest morality are the ones who crucified Jesus. It wasn't the pagan, debauchery, lust-filled, awful people out there. It was the people who had their act together with all their morality. And guys, even if we could, let's just let's take for a second here, even if we could somehow pass enough laws and pass enough rules and we could change a lot of people by just the laws, 
if we give them, if we give them to be pro this and anti that and line their lives with what the Bible says about all kinds of things, and that's all we get to is just make them behave like Christians, all we're doing is populating hell with nice people. People need Jesus, man. They don't need just to behave better. It won't do any good to be in heaven to have conventional, again, in hell, to have conventional views on abortion, sexuality, whatever those things are, if they don't meet Jesus. So it's not our job to help Christian, non-Christians uh, live like Christians. Our job is to talk to people about Jesus. You're just going to meet Jesus, because here's the deal, guys. Look at me. When you encounter the gospel that Paul talks about and the grace of Jesus, all the rules go away. He's even going to tell us you don't even need rules anymore because the grace of God does far more for you than code compliance to a bunch of rules that are out there. The band's going to come up right now. We're going to sing together today some songs. I, the songs are great today because the message was challenging. Hard. You'll be inspired and excited when you leave today. I promise you this. Uh, we're singing these songs, like that song, Even When I'm Not, God, You're Faithful. Not even when I'm not, like I'm never faithful. So God, all the time I jack this thing up and make a mess out of it, but you still keep loving me, you still keep blessing me. It's, it's beautiful and amazing. Um, you may have come in today ch challenged with some things in your life right now. Issues with your family, issues with your kids, issues with your health. Maybe even some of those things you go, guys, some of those things right there, I got to get some of that garbage out of my life. Our prayer team is at the back of the house in those four blue chairs in the back. People will be getting up, moving around the room for different reasons. I'd encourage you to wander back there and just ask them to pray for you. And as they pray for you guys, it's not going to be a prayer of counseling and they're going to preach at you and tell you what to do. They're just going to talk to God and pray with you and for you about whatever that is that's challenging you or frustrating you or is difficult for you right now. And then in the four corners of the room, we have communion. And communion is bread and juice that symbolizes the body and the blood of Jesus. And Jesus tells us over and over again, when you get together, he says, I want you to eat some bread and drink some juice to remember my body and my blood that was broken for you. Because you hear a message like this today, you know what you walk out here going? I'm a mess. I have no hope. And that's why you come to communion tables with empty hands. People have told us over the years that we could streamline our service if we had people bring their connection cards and their giving and just wander over there and drop it there and then make your way back to your seat and go, I don't want to do that. It's not a transaction you do here. You don't leave money or connection card here and get the communion from God and get that grace from God. The grace of God comes with empty hands to people that are a hot mess. All of us. Wherever you find yourself on that list of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, and whatever you find yourself on there, we're going to sing some great songs about not just mm, grace, but amazing grace. The fact that God came here and death was arrested and life can begin, even for us who made a mess out of the whole joint. Jesus today, whatever needs to land today, land it. Whatever needs to stick in people's hearts and souls today, stick it, plant it. God, what needs to just slide away for some people because they can't handle it right now, and you have the work you need to do, God, just by your spirit, make whatever needs to happen right now happen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.